Welcome to Sudoku Book Club, where we finally get to the books that have been sitting on our shelves for forever. I'm Leif Nelson. And I'm Emily Miner. And because he's going to be here next week, we have a special guest who we've had before. A returning guest for because the first time. Because we just can't get rid of him. <laughs> he's been living in our attic for the past six months. I'm back. <laughs> God. Uh, Tim Everson is back here once again. I'm back. Uh, but he is not reading a book. We're here because we like to sometimes record back-to-back, and so he will actually be with us next week um, with a couple of books. But before we can get to that, we have the books that I promised you last time, which is Bootyin Nights by George Alec Effinger. Buttigieg Nights? Buttigieg Nights. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, Booty Nights is, I think, the third, no, it's only, it's the second book um, that I've read for this podcast that is from that big group of Humble Bundle uh, science fiction books that I got. Like I said last time, most of them are not exactly my cup of tea. I kind of read maybe the first couple chapters of most of them and then gave up. Uh, the, the other one was, uh, The Forge of God, I think, which I did a few months ago. This one was the very next book that I read from this, uh, bunch of ebooks that I bought. And, uh, it was also, uh, really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, George Alec Effinger was, uh, born in the 50s. He, uh, spent a lot of time in New Orleans, apparently. And he died in 2002. He was only like 55. So not a long life. Uh, mostly spent time like writing science fiction and some other things. And most of his short stories and most of, uh, most of his short stories were set in a single universe. Um, mostly centered on, around the Boudin. And the Boudin... I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time you say that, I'm like, the booty-ing? The booty-ing? Buddha-yin. So B-U-D-A-Y-E-E-N. Not B-O-O-T-Y-I-N-G. No, it's not a horror movie. <laughs> the booty-ing? No, booty-ing. Yeah, the booty-ing. Buddha, 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 ying everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. So the Boudin, I assumed it was a real word, but as far as I can tell, it is not. Because when I Google just the word, uh, all that comes up is George George Alec Effinger and his short stories. Um, The Boudin is not a city. It is like a a borough or a section of a city that is never named in any of the stories. The city? Yes. Is named? Okay. So it's just called, it's just referred to as the city. Um, And... It takes place in it takes place in the future, I believe one to two hundred years in the future, and it's a world where the what we cons- would consider like the cultural West has kind of declined, and the Middle East and Islamic culture has kind of like been steadily rising up, and it is pretty interesting because it is not like it's not fear mongering in that way. It's not saying like look at all the terrible things that would be happening if this happened. It just is the world mm-hmm. that it exists. So instead of, I'm thinking of like 
just the sheer prevalence of like uh, Catholics in Stephen King books, things like that, or someone just like mentioning that a character like crosses their chest or something similar. That's pretty much how these books treat Islam and Muslim culture. So mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. And um, you might guess from the name George Alec Effinger, he is a white guy. But from what I understand from the um, intro, which was done by his third wife, um, who was also a uh, science fiction writer and fantasy writer, uh, he would get um, like fan mail from like Muslim uh, readers who were like excited to see like what they considered proper representation. So that was interesting. Um, the Booty Nights is a bunch of short stories. So like I said, he writes a bunch of short stories, but he also has a series of novels featuring um, one character, um, Marid Audron, who is a private eye. So it's like a cyberpunk noir like stories that he tells. And um, some of the short stories were centered around Marid, and some of them were just like other characters in the city, and some were even outside of the city. Um, and I, like overall, I'd say you could tell that he really just cared about the city, or at least in my opinion, because um, when it was just out in the world, it was interesting, but like fell kind of flat for me. And as soon as you got into the city or into the Boudin, it was like way more fleshed out, way more interesting, a lot more actual like characters interacting with each other that felt very real. And those were all the ones that I enjoyed the most, I think. Cool. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's weird because like I f- it's there were like stories I didn't like. Like um, some of the stories in this were were actually like the first two chapters of some of his novels, and I wasn't super interested in that because um, they just felt they felt very much like this is the beginning of a novel and read the rest of it somewhere else. So that didn't quite work for me. So wait, I'm sorry. Can you just reiterate mm-hmm. what the sort of organization of this? Sorry, it was so short stories. It, it was short yeah. Stories? Most okay. of it is short stories. There are one or two sections of it that are actually just the first one or two chapters from one of a his novels. Book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, as far as I can tell, most of his novels are centered around Marie Audron and like his um, like stories and mysteries that he's dealing with. Um, so they're all kind of in this world, but this particular book focuses on this borough and its short stories. Yeah, and Marie Audron is also inside the Boudin. Okay. But I'm assuming the reason this book was called Boudin Nights is because most of the stories are focused on there. Gotcha. Um, the ones that I really liked also tended to focus on Marie. So in the same way that like he's focused on the city, he very much like is focused also on uh, this character who like appears in a lot of stories, even if they're not like the main character uh my question yes i have a question question yes you in the back okay thank you um just kind of looking through the past episodes it's been a while for you since you've been able to read something that you enjoyed how did that feel Um, and to be able to talk about because i mean i think the last one where you read it was that it was like that that viking or the Right, Fall of Gods, yeah, yeah, which yeah. you did not enjoy. No. I think you you enjoyed. There was one where you did games, and you did the 
the cancer, the dragon cancer mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of um, mixed on those. But maybe was it Dune was the last one that you enjoyed? I don't even know if you would say. Did, but did you even really enjoy Dune? I enjoyed Dune. I feel like there's one I've enjoyed before that. I'm not going to go through the episodes, but I, I feel like I've been more positive than that. As someone maybe. who just scanned through the episodes, I want to let you know that you have not. There, <laughs> there's a trend. Okay. And it's not, and, and it's, I'm not saying. Yeah. And it's not your fault, right? I'm, it's not, I'm saying you're picking poorly. It's not that you hate everything. No. So. I would say I do have a much lower bar for the books I'm willing to read. Like, I'm willing to, like, I will pick up books that I'm like, hmm, that looks like trash. <laughs> like, Whereas, meanwhile, <laughs> last week I read David Sedaris in three chapters of eh, and I was like, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think that, like, eh books are way worse than bad books. Like, I will oh, read, yeah. I will I guess that's true. read through a bad book. One of my favorite bad books was, um, oh, what was it called? The Wayfarers something or other. It was some fantasy book by an Australian author who the main character is named Ajax, Battle Axe of the Battle Axes. Like, he has five axes in his name, and he wields an axe, <laughs> and it's just... It's stupid, but it was so good, and I basically oh. just would, like, read through to for someone to say his full name again. <laughs> Oh, it was so good. But that's unimportant. What's important is that I was reading through the uh, reading through these short stories and as with most of these, some didn't really grab me, some did. Um and I kind of want to talk about that. Before getting into that, one of the things that definitely like sh- popped up in all of them was um trans characters, which was really interesting, which I know is not new for cyberpunk like body modification and like a lot of things like even transferring minds and stuff is definitely a thing that happens in science fiction and cyberpunk specifically. Like that's been a big deal about the new cyberpunk game that's coming out is that uh, your like character creation at the very beginning when you like pick what you look like is not going to be the end of Mm. changing your character and you could, and there's no like, at least from what they've said so far, there's no like, picking a male body and a female body. You just pick features that are going to be added on. I'm sure there's still going to be something that makes it simplified, but that's still an interesting thing. That's cool. Um, and in this, like, when I first was reading it, I was very on edge because the word trans is never used or anything like, not even like, definitely not transgender and not even transsexual. And I'm kind of wondering, like, it's if it had to do with the time period since he was writing these books in, like, the 70s and 80s. And that's that the term that he uses is sex change. Like someone is a sex change. Oh, as a noun. Yeah. And that felt like very weird and kind of dehumanizing. But he mostly only used it as like just saying someone was a sex change. And then after that. Referred to them by their name. Right. Yeah. Like went past that. Um, And so like... There were still, like, some off things that would occasionally pop up, but it was, for the most part, I didn't feel, like, gross while reading it. It felt, like, pretty, like, someone who is not trans writing decently about it. So, that was really interesting. Um, like, the main character, Marid, uh owns a club. And it's not super clear if it's, like, a strip club or, like, um, possibly... Um, a brothel of some sort. Um, 
it, it feels like it kind of like mixes between the two, but like he talks about um, one time when he, there's like a party going on, he talks about like one of his customers who is a trans man who comes in and like how he says best customer and all these other things. And then uh, this is going a little off topic. Like um, Marie is also bisexual. Um, at least from what I can tell, it's only like one scene in one of the books where um, a man comes up and like starts making out with him and all the other stories he's either been, been with a woman or like mentions interest in one. And like during this like makeout scene, there's like a paragraph of like his, his like synapses firing and like whoa like electricity going off and it's like oh whoa okay that's interesting um, and that was actually one of those that was like part of a novel that he actually never finished because he died before he could finish it and like I was really interested in the story that was going on with that um, yeah the the story I actually I don't think I don't want to like focus on any of the stories because for the most part like I feel bad but like the stories were not super interesting like the plot was not super interesting to me it was all about like characters and character interactions and like what was going on inside their heads so if that's the sort of thing that like you're super interested in like this is great I would love to find the books that he wrote for this because I'd actually like read through a full novel about this and one of his books, When Gravity Fails, was turned... Oh, either the book was turned into or he just wrote for, um, like, an old, um, like, um, point-and-click, like, adventure game. Mm. Like, either in cool. the 80s or 90s for this. I can't remember. And, like, I'm sure I would hate playing that because I can't... I'm very bad at playing old video games. Um, but it would be interesting to at least look at. I think, like... The other thing he did really well was, like, humor. Like, there's just... There were some points where... I was reading in public, and I, like... I'm very, like, self-conscious when that happened, but, like, I was, like, trying not to, like, just laugh out loud. And I'm actually going to find some of that. While I'm doing that, do you guys have any questions about, like, what's going on? Or... As far as, like, the, the setting and stuff, was there anything in particular about, kind of, the world that he puts it in that, that stood out to you or that you enjoyed? Um, for the most part, the thing that mostly stood out was the culture mm -hmm. because it was Islamic. Like some of the things like felt, here's what I would say. So like, like I mentioned, like people seem to think he did a decent job and I would say too, but like, I'm obviously not Muslim, so I don't know how accurate it is or how true to life it is, but it felt like someone was writing from a point of view of like, at least if they didn't understand it, he was faking it really well. Because I've read stories that are like, um, have done like, oh, the future is Muslim or the future is whatever religion. And it feels very, um, what's the word? I don't know. Uh, archaeological or like very distant. Like, like observational in yeah, a way. Yeah, or like pointing out the differences from an American or like 
Western audience. And he didn't do that. Like, he's not really holding your hand through anything. It felt, like, familiar. Like, he yeah, understood. Even if I didn't know it, yeah. the characters obviously did. And they didn't, like, bother to explain, like, most of the words that, um, like, were in Arabic at times. And so I would have to, like, look that up and, like, oh, okay. Like, that's what it is. I love it when that kind of stuff isn't translated mm-hmm. for you. When you actually have to go do the work. Because that has to happen the other way around for English so often. Right, that, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said, and like, it's obviously not the same thing, but that's like how I feel about like good fantasy as well. Is that like, now a good fantasy book is going to have a glossary at the end that's going to halfway explain things. But is that a pre, like a prerequisite or not a prerequisite, but you know what I mean? Is I that enjoy like a, that. okay, okay, yeah. requirement. Yeah. Oh, man, it's not a requirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find those useful. I, I don't think they're like 100% necessary, but like, this doesn't have a glossary and it doesn't like, explain everything to you like i i know that the hajj is the the um, pilgrimage to mecca Mm -hmm. but when they mention it it's not like it takes a sentence to talk about that's what the pilgrimage to mecca is called the characters talk about it and even if i didn't know i would be able to then glean from it oh they're going to mecca and you would probably know by then like oh mecca is important but it's not like an exposition right no it was just a conversation between two characters and they were and it was also like a, it was a very like, that scene specifically was like kind of a subterfuge thing because Mareed has a um, a patron who's sort of a crime lord, sort of legitimate. It's not super clear from the stories I read. It might be more clear in the, the books. But so like he owes things to his boss, but like also like is trying to get on his good side, but also not like get into debt and like there's a bunch of things that are going on in his head as he's like talking about uh going to mecca for the hajj and so it was just like stuff like that was very interesting on the science fiction side um it was pretty straightforward now i don't know like how interesting or like groundbreaking any of this stuff would have been in the 70s or 80s but he like the most Essential thing that came up, like, it, for the most part, if you ignored the sci-fi elements or took out the made-up words he used for the sci-fi stuff, it could have been, like, modern day. Hmm. It um, A lot of the... Um, Barbara Hambly has a lot of... She writes a foreword to each of the little stories, like, kind of introducing, hey, here's what this happened, here's when he wrote it, like, explaining why this story was unfinished or things like that. Um and she said that a lot of his experiences in there were based on his life in New Orleans. So, like, the Boudin is a the seedy underbelly of the city, and that's he was basing it basically where he lived in New Orleans. Hmm. Um, the only things that like really were like science fiction that like really stood out were um, oh, Maudies and Daddies. <laughs> So, um, excuse me, what? <laughs> so in it, um, people have implants to their brains and they have like basically USB slots right. for stuff to go into them. And a Mahdi is a modification. Um, it changes something about your brain or your personality. So like, um, you, like at one point, uh, I was going to say this for later, but at one point, like one of the stories is like, there's like a, um, a couple of people have been killed and they've been like, they've got like bite marks on their neck and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in his investigation, uh, Marie finds 
a Mahdi shop that has a, a Bram Stoker like collected set that has been broken open. Whoa. And uh, the Dracula one, like Mahdi, had been taken out and stolen. And he like figures out that like, oh, they're doing that. So he buys the rest of the set and then inserts the um, Van Helsing Mahdi oh, into his brain. Cool. And he at when he, the second he does that, the book changes view to he's no longer Murid, he's Van Helsing, and he's like going through the city trying to find Dracula or this vampire. That is incredible. It's so like weird, but it was like really fun, like going through it because he's interacting with people who know they're in the real world, but his brain like reprocesses it. Like, there's a scene where he's talking to someone, and then he takes the Mahdi out, and it realizes, oh, they weren't saying that. Like, Van Helsing just didn't understand it, so he, like, turned it into, like, some other... I can't think of the analog that Van Helsing came up with, but, like, that's what he did. And it works, though. Like, he he plugs it in, and that's how he's able to, like, track down where uh, the vampire is. And the vampire is just someone who stole it and like the the safety mechanism wasn't working because they didn't buy it. And so they, instead of being like fun thinking I'm Dracula and just going into his mindset, literally like thought that they were a vampire and needed to do these things and sucking blood and things like that. And so that was just like a really cool part. And daddies are add-ons. Like a daddy would be like, you would get like a, if you didn't speak English, you could put a, english daddy into your brain and like now you can speak english but like it was very it feels very it's it, this is my favorite like kind of sci-fi where it's not all 100 percent like in the cloud digital sort of like star wars or something where things are kind of like beaten down and right. people are cobbling things together like they only have so many like slots you can't like fit everything in your brain kind of fries if you have too much stuff in like it, it sort of feels like very rpg like you're only you can only have so many like abilities or whatever and it's just it's just really cool stuff and again like some a lot of this stuff is very basic to cyberpunk stuff now but it just it definitely felt very it felt distinctive in this to me that's really cool it does sound very cool i I like the whenever and uh, since i don't read a lot of science fiction my experience would be more with movies and stuff where you have worlds set up to where there's just there's some changes it's just it's the future but it's still you know believable because it's there's only a couple different things like you know her stuff like that the walking phoenix movie right yeah siri yeah it's like but it's like one it's like one big thing but that it like changes right it has a big everything around yeah but yeah but it's still like oh yeah i mean they you know it's not they're not living in a jetson house and right they're not driving x-wings to school and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. yeah no definitely like it feels very down to earth in that way even though it's supposed to be one two hundred years in the future even like former book reviewed on this podcast ready player one <laughs> yeah is was too much like too far like it's i i think some people praise it was like oh you could see that it's still kind of you know you could you could see that becoming our world or whatever but right really it, it still was too no i i, too I far just, removed too far removed yeah. and, and not not close enough i mean if you were to compare 2020 to 
you know, 1960 or 1950. Yeah, there are some big changes, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that the houses for the most part look <laughs> the same. Yeah. Remind I mean, me when Ready Player One is set. Like 2040. Yeah. 2030, maybe. Right. I can't remember. Like, <laughs> not far enough. Right. Like, literally a generation. <laughs> yeah. Not to crap all over Ready Player One again, because <laughs> you guys did that. Yeah. Like, to me, this is sort of the opposite of Ready Player One. Where Ready Player One was very similar culturally. Like, it's basically just now, but with supercomputer virtual reality stuff. And this was much more... A lot of the culture has changed, but things are still very similar. Like the way people act is pretty similar. People still owe money, and which seems more realistic because, yeah. like, I, I went back to what I said. It was like, yeah, if you were to compare a neighborhood in any city from now to like 1960, as long as there were still houses there, it wouldn't look the same. But the culture is incredibly mm. different than in what it was 50 years ago, right. and so it would make sense that that would be the biggest and most notable change uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. One of the stories I wasn't a huge fan of, like it was interesting, but it wasn't crazy, was just, it was from the point, it was a soldier out in some war that's happening. Besides the fact that you don't know the name of the uh, city that the Boudin is, you don't know what country it is, you don't know what continent it is on. It's probably in Africa or Europe, but you don't know. And, like, it references stuff in other places. And that guy, like, kind of gave you a broader idea. But I think going through that, like, that one was a very, like, technology-heavy one. And it just was not as interesting. The most interesting part of that story was when this soldier, because it's the future, you only need, like, one soldier in each, like, location. He mans, like, a bunch of auto turrets that can, like, automatically target things. And he just has to, like, manage it all. Um, and he has, like, some sort of modification that, like, is basically just, like, a constant, like, caffeine pump into his brain. And so, like, it's, he goes through a fight and he's, like, feeling great. And then as it ends, he just, like, wants to die. Like, it sounds awful. But the most interesting part of that is when he's, like, talking with a shepherd who's living in the same area and is, like, probably working for the enemy. But, like, he just wants human contact, so he doesn't care. Huh. Um, it was just really interesting. See, now I'm already turning around like, no, but, that but story like, sounds good. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is one of the first in a long time that you've talked about where I'm like, I genuinely am interested. I would yeah. love to read this. I'm going to steal your Kindle. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super good. I, I still need to look and see if the library has it or I would mm, honestly yeah, yeah. buy these books. Like, it was just really good. The, the thing I wanted to talk about with humor um, way, way back um, is that it's funny, and I'm going to read some. So one of my favorite <laughs> characters' introductions is Bill the Cabbie. So one of the things that um, Barbara Hambly mentioned, and I didn't get a feel for it because this is like a bunch of different stories going on, but I guess that um, Effinger didn't really feel, didn't have care too much about continuity. Um, like he would come up with characters and like kind of archetypes that they would fit in, and they might be the murder victim in one story, and in the next story, they're the murderer. Like, someone who died 20 years ago would be in the next story, and, like, they're just there. So everything's kind of nebulous. But one of the characters that would come up was Bill the Cab Driver. And I'm just going to read straight from this, because it's, like, nuts. Bill is a minor character in all three of the novels, um, featuring uh, Marie Audron. 
having won the lottery, he spent all the money to have one of his lungs removed and replaced with a sack containing a lifetime supply of the most powerful hallucinogen known to the underworld. <laughs> Time released into his bloodstream so that Bill can be permanently blissfully and devastatingly stoned for the rest of his days a condition which does not improve his cab driving at all (laughs) (laughs) i want to read these yeah and uh, bill is like one of the side characters in the um the uh van helsing story where they're hunting him down because bill is just like does not know what is going on at any time (laughs) and when Marie is trying to talk to him when he's himself like he's just frustrated but as soon as he plugs in van helsing like they both just like sink up and they're like and bill's like oh we're chasing down a vampire cool i saw one of those last week (laughs) like they just go for it and i want to read um this is actually from the same story in the story like he's become van helsing he's met up with um uh bill and he's like what kind i'm not sure what i need and so he puts it in They're like oh we need stakes we need like wooden stakes to like pound into their chest to kill them for good um and they armed themselves with stakes they couldn't find a hammer but bill carried an old dead battery that could be used for pounding purposes we'll need something to cut off sheba's head too van helsing said in a worried voice we'll need to get a large cleaver and garlic to stuff into her mouth bill nodded there's an all-night convenience store on our way. <laughs> like, just, like... He's just, ready. Like, Ride I mean, or die. Just in. He's in. Yeah, in the middle of, like, Chicago or New Orleans, and they're like, we have to kill a vampire. Let's go to, like, the nearest mom-and-pop store and, like, grab what we need, and we're going to go kill this vampire. And it's just really, really great. Last bit of humor that I, I have to talk about. Um, it was the final story. I think this was the final one. Maybe the second to last one. And this one takes place in the future. It's like an older and grizzled Marid. And he um, is no longer a uh, nightclub owner. He now is like putting on this presentation of like a very respectable, uh, more elderly um, man. And he leans very much into like the idea of like what a uh, private eye should look like. And he's investigating this like company that creates like virtual realities but they're holograms so like um a bunch of people pile money together to be like hey we want to pretend we're living on mars and we're colonists and like they live on the 13th floor of like an apartment building and that entire floor has just been like filled with sand and other things and then holograms make them think like hey we're in we're on mars and like it's interesting and but like these people come because there's like a crime happening that I can't even remember what's... Oh, someone's tampering with the holograms. Something like that. And they come to hire him and he's going through all these motions of like... He's got he's got like this... His uh, office that they come into. It's messy, but it's like... There's an, there's an organization to it that only he understands. And like he goes through the motions of like... They have to have tea first. And like he knows they're way too polite to force him to like just get to business. And he wants to make these richer people like kind of spend a little time before they like ask him for help and then when he comes back after doing an investigation he comes back and it's like that stereotypical scene where like the office has been ransacked but in reverse says i got a scare when i got back to my office during the time while i visited the cr core building someone had defeated defeated my expensive elaborate security system entered and wiped my own cr hardware 
which is a consensual reality. That's what CR stands. That's just the word for the virtual reality um, place that's set up. My own CR had hardware and software. The shabbiness had disappeared, replaced by the true polished floors and freshly painted walls of the office in the building. I'd worked diligently to re- reproduce the rundown office of Lefty Gad's detective, Al Kadani, who's a character in novels that he really likes. But now the rooms were clean and new and sleek and modern. I was really furious. <laughs> so it's just like turning the idea of like, oh, his office has been ransacked. They've ruined everything. No, they like got rid of the hologram that was pretending that he had all these papers and stuff everywhere. And it's super clean. Like, it's just fine. <laughs> and just, <laughs> there are just so many moments like that throughout the stories that I just really, really like. So. Wow. <sighs> what a... What a glowing review, honestly. Yeah. What a find. I know. What a jam. That's great. And this Diamond is, in the rough for you. It really is, because the next book I'm reading is real awful. So <laughs> Great. Can't here's wait. A, a bright light in between. In the yeah. desert. There we go. Is there anything else you guys have for me? Or? I don't think so. No. It sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, no. Highly recommend uh, this book, um, any of the books, like, just really, really great. I... I plan on reading a lot more of these. So very cool. All right. right. Next time, uh, Tim, you're going to be reading a couple of books. What are they going to be? I will be well. I will be talking about uh, Ghostland and American History and Haunted Places by Colin Dickey, and I'll also be talking about uh, Running with Scissors by Augustine Burroughs. All right, a double feature. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much to Velpunch for the use of their song Fighting Pose. Thank uh, you, Velpunch. Yeah. <laughs> from Thank the album their, uh, His Strange Fighting Pose. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at SundokuPod. We always include a link in the description. And uh, we'll see if I find any fun- funny stuff to post there that I missed for this episode. And if you want to, you know, leave us a review or a comment or a F you or a whatever, you know. Feel you're free still, to leave it. If you're a big Dave Sedaris fan and you're still mad at Emily, <laughs> if still... you have a grudge that will never, never give up, let me know. <laughs> yep, sounds good. All right, see Thanks. you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>